You're listening to Clonk, the Cardiff University Students Union podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to Clonk, the Cardiff Students Union podcast. I'm Shresht and today I'm here with Rachel from the Healthcare Equality and Advocacy for LGBTQ+ Society. Um, do you want to introduce yourself, Rachel? Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Rachel. Uh, I use she, her pronouns. I'm the president of Heal Society at Cardiff. Um, I'm a medical student in my fourth year. And this uh, this podcast is really exciting to be doing. But I'm not an expert. I'm just a medical student who has an interest in this sort of stuff. And I'm very excited to be talking about it today. Uh, brilliant. Today we'll be talking about LGBTQ plus history month with a special emphasis on the healthcare industry. Like Rachel mentioned, we are not experts at all. We're just interested in in the topic. Um, but yeah, we would love to sort of tell you more about what, what we know. <laughs> um, so Rachel, as, as a medical student, um, what sort of stuff do you experience on a day-to-day life or anything that you think is lacking in our education sector when it comes to LGBTQ plus healthcare? Um, well, I think the first thing to mention is that my society heal was set up by some medical students last year because they'd noticed that the education that we have sort of wasn't enough. Um, from my own experience, it's been mentioned, uh, specific LGBT health issues have only been mentioned a couple of times in my four years at uni. Um, and this is kind of a reoccurring theme that's documented in a lot of research. Um, There's been lots of studies that have shown that medical students think that the amount of LGBT related teaching that they had while at medical school was not enough and that it wasn't enough to equip them for being a doctor after they graduated. Um, One study said that 85% of medical students said that when they finished their training they hadn't received any training on LGBT health needs, which I think is quite shocking. and so I th- kind of that's why why we're a society because we're trying to get that information out there, I guess. No, I think that's actually quite nice because I've seen some of uh, the videos that Heal posts on YouTube and they're actually quite educational. I remember um, one was specifically on sort of um, the terminology um, and I found that very, very interesting because I, I wasn't, um, I come from a country where talking about um, LGBTQ plus community as a whole was a taboo when I was growing up. So I didn't get Mm -hmm. that much education or any support growing up. Um, But I I found the video uh, like last month and I found it so interesting that I shared it with um, everyone at the SU and I was like, (laughs) everyone go watch this now. I think um, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like at, at Cardiff, you, we have loads of students from all over the world and you don't know the experience that, that they've had. Like in, in a lot of countries in the world, unfortunately, it's still illegal to be a member of the LGBT community. So how can how can you expect those doctors to just suddenly acquire the information that they need to treat their patients and, and understand the terms that patients are using to identify themselves if, if they've grown up somewhere where that's illegal or taboo or... And even here, like... It's not like at school we I ever had any formal education on it. Um, so, you know, that's why we're, <laughs> we can't have doctors graduating and not really knowing anything about it, I think. So I think yeah. it's an important thing. Um, obviously, like with the lack of knowledge, there might also come certain homophobic behavior that might or might not be sort of voluntary on, on the part of um, the people in the healthcare industry sometimes. Mm. Um, yeah, I think... 
I think obviously with with without education there comes ignorance, but then there is also still behaviour that that exists that is homophobic. So there was a study that was done in 2016 that was done by the British Medical Association and GLAD, which are, I think it stands for Gay and Lesbian Association of Doctors and Dentists, I think. Um, they did a study, a report that found that um, over 70% of LGBT doctors or medical students reported having endured harassment or abuse related to their sexual orientation whilst at work. Um, and this ranged from feeling unable to talk about um, their sexual orientation to actual like homophobic name calling. Um, and only 59% of LGBT staff working within the NHS are openly out at work. And I think it is because there is this culture of people don't really know about it in the NHS and and it's just, well, it's just difficult to talk about, I suppose. Um, but I guess the other issue as well with doctors not knowing about LGBT health needs is this concept of um, diagnostic overshadowing that we were talking about a little bit before, um, where it's quite a common phenom phenomenon. I don't have any specific statistics, but they're, they're out there um, of like, if uh, the most common example that's used is like if a trans person comes in with some medical issue, the fact that they're trans can override their care or override the doctor's diagnostic thinking because they just sort of go like, oh, well, that must, that's something rare that I don't see very often. That must be the issue. Um, and you get this sort of, you know, it means that trans patients are less likely to receive a correct diagnosis, more likely to be given incorrect treatment or more likely to just their uh, problems to be ignored. And um, it can often be down to people thinking that maybe if, if they're taking hormones that that's what's causing their symptoms. But actually taking hormone therapy, there's only one documented side effect and it's, it's a boring thing to do with your blood. But like it doesn't, it, it actually has no effect. Like taking hormone therapy has no effect on, should have no effect on your medical health anyway. So um, diagnostic overshadowing is a bit silly. <laughs> yeah, that does not sound very nice thank you for that that was actually quite in insightful because um i was unaware of a lot of those issues that you just mentioned um obviously we've been talking about the lack of knowledge perhaps on on the part of some healthcare professionals in the nhs um was there any experiences that you'd like to mention from from your personal journey as a healthcare student yeah so i think you know we've been talking about um how lack of knowledge can lead to certain mistakes being made um, I think another one is that if you don't have knowledge of, of LGBT health needs, your own internal biases can often mislead you. So, for example, um, a friend of mine was trying to access the GP service and the GP was asking her, um, you know, are you are you taking any contraception? No. Um, are you sexually active? Yes. Oh, well, then you really need to be, you need to have some contraception because you could get pregnant. But that wasn't the case because she was in a same-sex relationship and I think this sort of thing happens all the time with the assumption of different people's anatomy um and if if, if doctors aren't taught about you know whether someone taking testosterone can still get pregnant how are they going to be able to advise their patients properly and we're not taught that stuff so you know yeah it's sort of like um figure as you go really, yeah um in case you want like I'm assuming you would not have known a lot of these facts like if you'd not been interested in it and if you'd not been sort of the president of society that deals with mm. um all of this yeah uh, i definitely wouldn't know know anything well as, as i said to you earlier i think the only time that lgbt healthcare has come up is we had a lecture early on that basically 
uh, just said like men who have sex with men are more likely to contract HIV. And beyond that, we've had a couple of lectures. Well, we've had one lecture on like some inequalities that LGBT people face, but I don't think it it hasn't explored the issue in in Mm -hmm. enough depth. And in terms of the information that you need to properly treat your patients, I don't think that we've been equipped with that. And it's not it's not the fault of any particular medical school. It's just that they you. Um, to graduate, you have to follow certain guidance, and um, LGBT healthcare isn't isn't on them at the moment. So, and that's actually that can be quite problematic, I'd say, because um, if you're not taught, then you would actually never know how to deal with the issues unless, like, you go out of your way mm-hmm. and over over the sort of boundaries of your degree to explore it yourself. Like, yeah, I'm t- I've not even done a medical degree, but I don't think I would know anything about the um, LGBTQ plus healthcare industry had I not been um, in a same-sex relationship myself. Like, yeah. And um, I think it means that you're only, in, like people who are interested in it gen- generally tend to be people who are involved in the community or already allies in the community and they're yeah. not the doctors that need the teaching. The doctors that need the teaching are the people who aren't already allies, aren't already in, in the community or know people in the community. So it needs to be taught to every medical student not just the ones that are interested and at the yeah. moment the way that it works is it's the ones that are interested um and i think not teaching this stuff as well means that effectively a whole proportion of the population aren't getting adequate health care and mm. that's discrimination isn't it so yeah um yeah and it's obviously then especially amplified if you have other intersectional um boundaries like race um disability wh- whatever it is as soon as you combine multiple factors, the statistics for how much your healthcare provider knows about your health is, they're not great. Yeah. Obviously, we're nowhere close to the end of our struggle as a community, but um, I'd say we've significantly improved in the medical sector, um, even from the 90s itself, I'd suggest. Um, Are there any specific examples that come to mind, perhaps? Yeah, so I think what we've talked about so far is a lot about education and I think you with history month especially you can't talk about education and LGBT history without talking about section 28 yeah um which was effectively a law that was in place from I think it was the mid 80s to the early 2000s that banned anyone from teaching and educating about LGBT health obviously not LGBT full LGBT stuff full stop but that extends to health so what that is important to bear in mind then is that that means that patients of a certain age, anyone above 30, wasn't allowed to be taught about themselves and know about themselves. Obviously, that's now revoked. So I think that is obviously a positive thing. Um, I wouldn't say that much progress was made until recently. I think it was in 2019, they've now made it mandatory in schools to teach LGBT sexual health t- and to teach LGBT students ab- about themselves and about so so that I think that's a really positive step that's being made and I'd be really interested to see over the next couple of years like how things change as that as those 15 year olds that are being taught about it now grow into mm-hmm. to adults I think the other really positive thing that's happening at the moment is there's a really big big push of societies like mine at medical schools um there was one that was there's an organization that's been set up by some students from I think Sheffield Uni but one of the medical schools anyway and they are called LIMA, stands for LGBT Inclusive Medical Alliance. And what they've done is they've written a letter to the GMC. And the GMC are the people who make the um, 
make the rules that medical students have to be able to do this to graduate and they keep a big list of everyone who's the doctor in the a doctor in the UK and all of this the the big governing bodies and so they've written a letter to the GMC saying you need to include LGBT healthcare in your learning outcomes for medical students and they're involved in a conversation and it's looking like it's it's going to head that way which I think is a really positive step to be making and in the meantime the societies like mine putting out resources for Cardiff students and they're going on YouTube so in theory they're for all healthcare students I suppose um yeah so those are the two examples that I can think of of positive and things also I guess like you can't sort of mention um progress and then not mention prep as well because obviously mm. I'd say that's a major that's a major uh, achievement that we've achieved like we've sort of yeah achieved I don't know why I'm repeating that <laughs> word but hi guys achieved <laughs> um, <laughs> um But yeah, basically, for anyone who's unaware, PrEP is a pill that can prevent contraction of HIV, um, which is available to most people who have same sex, uh, same sex sex. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I'd say that's a great medical advancement. And if if you do want to know more about PrEP itself, then we at the Students' Union have a prepare campaign that was started this year um this academic year on the 1st of december to mark world aids day um we've got information about prep uh for men prep for women and it's available in both english and welsh so if anyone wants to know more about that uh you can feel free to come in and have a chat with us um i guess like to sort of wrap up i'd i'd ask what do you think we can do moving forward like obviously there's some long term steps that need to mm. be taken like there's some changes that we need to make on a mass scale which would include changing the educational structure and making sure that all students um in medical school are taught everything there is to know about lgbtq plus health because mm. it's not just people who are a part of the community but everyone needs to know about it uh because they might there might be students who are closeted and there might be students who who don't know that they are a part of the community yet but it might be beneficial for everyone to know about um the community and their healthcare needs just because it's helpful mm -hmm. um but also there's some immediate steps that that anyone in the sector could follow um so yeah just any sort of examples that come to mind on that, that um, side yeah we've we, i have a few like this is what a lot of our teaching is about but i the three main ones that i would usually say is ne like don't make assumptions um introduce yourself and i'll exp i'm going to expand on each of these in a second and um like make the environment inclusive so with don't make assumptions it's really hard if you have your own internal biases if you ever everyone does it like if you you assume the doctor's going to be a man it happens to i mean not I'm a medical student and it's happened to me before. Do you know what I mean? Like that's just the way that we were brought up. It's our it's our environment. We can't help it, but you do that you can unlearn certain behaviors. For instance, actually today I was in a tutorial and the um we were taking history from a fake patient. She was just an like acting, but she kept saying that she there's no way she could be pregnant and no one in the room was clocking that it was because um her partner wasn't a man and I I clocked it and I think that you know i have the same upbringing as most of these people i think it's because like well also maybe because i'm a member of the community but i think that's 
part of it, isn't it? It's like unlearning your own biases. So yeah, don't make assumptions. Introducing yourself. So there was a campaign that was done in the NHS um, a few years back where um, a, a patient was in hospital and she was finding it very frustrating because no one was introducing themselves. Um, so she started this campaign called Hello, My Name Is. And now every person you interact with in healthcare is wearing well, is probably wearing like a hello my name is badge and we're all taught to introduce ourselves as hello my name is and then a few years back someone suggested it would be very inclusive to change that phrase perhaps to hello my name is and my pronouns are mm. and so that's now what's taught at cardiff and it's what's on a lot of the badges that are given out in the nhs that has an option to disclose pronouns and i think disclosing your pronouns or choosing to choose, disclosing your pronouns in that way or choosing to wear a pronoun pin for for people that need that, it's, uh, wait, let me say that again. For like choosing to disclose your pronouns or wearing a pronoun pin is just a very obvious way to, to tell your patients that you're clued up and trans-inclusive and will immediately make your patient just feel more at ease and know that they're in a safe space where they can be their, be their full self. Um, so yeah, that's introducing yourself. And then the third thing is about making the environment inclusive. So I read this study and it's it's really interesting, the effect that something very simple will have on making someone feel at ease. And that can be like, put, I've seen things like put a little um, pride flag in the corner or trans flag or um, having posters that use gender neutral language. So like in, in well, typically at the moment, if you're accessing sort of pregnancy services or typically women's services they're called it's called women's health clinics or women's this or women's that and if you change the language just to what it is like obstetrics and gynecology or whatever you're doing that's also another very mm. inclusive way to make your environment just more inclusive and having things on form is an option to disclose like what pronouns you'd like them to use things like that yeah all of these steps are being made somewhere but they're not universal yet I think yeah is the and I guess like these are sort of little things that can sort of go a long distance and can make lots of, lots and lots and lots of people feel more comfortable mm -hmm. um but i think this has been quite insightful actually um so thank you so much for joining us do you mind um, if i mention one more thing because i think if you're talking about lgbt healthcare you can't not mention trans healthcare and the uh gender gender clinic waiting lists which yeah. is obviously a big issue um i think what people don't realize is in Cardiff, we've got some of the shortest waiting lists and the gender clinic here is absolutely amazing. The waiting list is still 20 months, which from, from initial referral to being to see, being seen in your first appointment. So we've, well, it, and that's the shortest in the country. So up and down the country, we've got uh, trans people waiting nearly two years for healthcare. And this is healthcare that like, make no mistake about it is life-saving care. Um, and like we were saying earlier, if you, are failing to provide healthcare for a specific group of people, that is discrimination as well, isn't it? Yeah. So I think basically funding and education is needed to help help sort this out. Yeah. And I just think I, it may not be entirely, it didn't really flow with the podcast, but I do think you can't, you can't talk about LGBT healthcare without talking and about trans health it. and not yeah. mention it. That, that's, um, yeah, that makes complete sense. <laughs> um, if you would like to find out more about um, the Heal Society and what they do as a society, you can follow them on Instagram at LGBT Heath. 
Um, they also have a YouTube channel um, full of useful resources and I'd highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, like I said, I shared lots of their videos with <laughs> the SU earlier this month um, because I just found it and I was like, yep, there, there's a massive group chat of the SU. I'm just, just gonna chatting post to each here. other on Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But um, yeah, you can find out the link to everything that they do in their link tree, which is in their bio on Instagram. Um, it will be now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, if there's anything uh, else to add, Rachel, I'll let you sort of conclude. No, thank you for having me on. I'm Brilliant. I've enjoyed it. <laughs> um, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Don't forget to check out cardiffstudents.com for all the latest info and follow the SU on socials at Cardiff Students. Um, and thank you. Make sure you like this episode and subscribe to our channel to get more content from Cardiff SU. Also, head over to cardiffstudents.com for all the latest news. Now for sure, I'm going to look at the end of the day and I'm going to talk about the channel that I'm going to talk about in the end of the day. Head to cardstudents.com and I'm going to talk about the end of the day.